Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, it is good to be with you. Uh, This morning, we are going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 2 through 7 this morning. Um, We are uh, nearing the end of this series in Philippians. Um, We Many of us know, and if you didn't beforehand, as you flip to Philippians 4, you realize that this book only has four chapters in it, and we're in the last chapter. So we're coming to the end, and so uh, we have this week, next week we'll take a break uh, for Easter and focus our attention on Christ's resurrection, and then the Sunday after Easter will be our last week in the book of Philippians. And so we only have a few more weeks left. And then uh, for those of you who like to plan, who uh, like to know what's coming, um, I know that there are some of you out there. Um, we will be doing uh, the fruit of the Spirit uh, after our time in Philippians. And that will take us through the end of the spring into the summer. But before we get to the end of Philippians, before we get to the fruit of the Spirit, we have the passage before us. And the Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 2, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, our prayer is that you would guard our hearts and our minds this morning. For we know that apart from you, our minds would wander to the things of this world and our hearts would take hold of those things not of you. And so we pray that by your spirit that you would guard us, that you would uh, fortify our thoughts, that you would guard our hearts so that uh, today and all of our days we would rejoice. We would rejoice in what you have done on our behalf. And so we pray that you would meet with us now and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, uh, there was a multi-commercial ad campaign that was uh, entitled The Story of Joy. The Story of Joy. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, we wouldn't, we'd be interested in something like that, something that promises us joy and is going to tell us where joy comes from, the story of joy. This was three or four different commercials all centered around a particular uh, product, and so this commercial, right? I mean, I mean, joy, who, who doesn't want more joy? That sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever met someone who said, you know what, I think I've got enough joy. In fact, I've got so much joy, I wish I could take some of my joy and give it to you so that you can have more, right? We don't do that because joy is something that we always want. And when we have a little bit of it, we want more of it. And when we have lots of it, we want more of it still. It's one of those things that it's actually okay to have more and more joy, right? Like, like we know at some point, like, uh, uh, we don't need more possessions, we don't need more finances, right? Those things can turn into greed, but, like, but there's nothing wrong with wanting more joy. And so the story of joy, that sounds pretty good. And so in these commercials, they had these different words that would flash on the screen. Words that said things like joy is youthful, 
Joy is inspiring. Joy is collectible. Joy is defiant. Joy is a fan club. Joy is unstoppable. It sounds great. And then the voiceover would come as the words would fade. And the voiceover would say this, what you make people feel is just as important as what you make. And at BMW, we don't just make cars, we make joy. <laughs> now I have to tell you, like a BMW is a very fine automobile, right? I mean, it is a beautiful car. So, so I could see why maybe some people might think that a BMW would make joy, right? I mean, maybe that's what you feel when you pull out the lot for the first time in your brand new BMW, right? You're thinking, this is what joy feels like. (laughs) Or maybe when you're driving faster than you've ever driven before, or it's handling in ways that you've never experienced, you could say, I have great joy, right? But that's maybe not what you're thinking as you're driving your BMW away from that job that you were just fired from. Or as you're driving in your new car and you get a call from the doctor and over the speakers, you hear the diagnosis. And joy may be not what you're thinking as you're driving home in your new car and you're about to enter into chaos. In those times, you don't think, well, you know what? At least I'm driving a BMW. (laughs) Right? No, of course not, because we know that sadness and anxiety, angst and sorrow, that that the joy of a car, any car, well, well, to say that that joy satisfies satisfies our sadness and our sorrow, our angst and our anxiety, I mean, that would just be trite, wouldn't it? I mean, think how insensitive it would be to say to a friend whose life is coming apart, well, well, at least rejoice because you have a beautiful car. No, that would be ridiculous. Be insensitive and uncaring. And I think that sometimes it's easy for us to feel like maybe that's what Paul is doing to us in this passage. Because we read verse 4, the very center of our passage, and we hear, rejoice in the Lord. And at first that sounds great, right? Because we're here at church, we're reading the Bible, we're singing praise, and so we think rejoice in the Lord, of course. Right? Celebrate. Have joy in what the Lord has done. Give thanks for who he is. But Paul didn't stop there. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Always? This is a command. It's in the imperative form. Rejoice in the Lord always. How can Paul say this? I mean, he's writing from a prison cell. Rejoice in the Lord always? He's been shipwrecked. Rejoice always? He's been stoned and beaten. Always? Now, before we roll our eyes and think that this is simply the biblical equivalent of BMWs, we make joy, we have to know what the Apostle Paul is saying and what he's not saying. First, what he's not saying is he's not saying don't mourn, don't weep, don't grieve, because the scripture is filled with countless examples, positive examples of people doing those very things, right? I mean, Jesus himself wept, and he commanded his people to weep with those who weep, and the apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, when confronted by death, said that we are to mourn and we are to grieve, and so so we are still to mourn, we are still to weep, we are to grieve. 
And in fact, if anything, that for the believer, we in the midst of mourning and grieving and weeping and calling out to God in lament, that can at times take the form of rejoicing in minor keys. Now, the Apostle Paul isn't calling us to rejoice Isn't this like Ned Flanders, ignore sadness, turn that frown upside down sort of experience? That's not what he's calling us to. When he says rejoice always, he is calling us to what John Calvin, the French theologian, described as a joy that doesn't mean that believers will be entirely free from all sadness, but that the ground for joy will be greater so that no dread, no anxiety, no grief will swallow them up. You see, for the believer, we rejoice always because there is something deeper in our experience. And there is something more true about who we are than our struggle. And that is that we are united to Christ. That is what is truer than our struggles. That is what is more real than our circumstance. That we are united to Christ. If you remember from a number of weeks ago, I I think I actually said in the very first Sunday in this series that there are two dominant themes in this book, right? The first theme is joy. We've talked about it. It shows up every single week. It's in our passage this morning. Rejoice, joy. It's the epistle of joy. But the other theme is union with Christ. It's all over Philippians, and it's actually all over the writings of the Apostle Paul that we have been united to Jesus And we see it in language like in Christ, in him, in the Lord. At its most basic, union with Christ means that we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to Christ. We are his. Or as the German Reformation theologian Martin Luther put it, that we can boast of and glory in whatever Christ has as though it were our own. And whatever soul has Christ claims him as his own. You see, we are united to Christ, that those who are resting in his death and resurrection, trusting in him, that we are united to him so that regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our situation, that union never changes. And because of that, we can rejoice. I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul said, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We rejoice not in situation, we, we rejoice in our union with Christ. And because of this union, we rejoice that we have peace with others. That's where our section began, peace with others. It begins with Paul calling us to have peace because there is a lack of peace. Now, I know that you're going to have to suspend some disbelief here. I know that it's hard to imagine that, that there would be Christians, that there would be a church where there would be dispute. <laughs> That was a joke, by the way, (laughs) right? Of course there's dispute. Of course there's disagreement. Of course at times there's arguments. I know it doesn't just happen out there. It was happening at Philippi, right? Verses 2 and 3 tell us this. There's some sort of dispute taking place. We don't know why Euodia and Syntyche are arguing, why they can't agree. But it's clear they had some sort of disagreement, right? And it's significant enough that it's affecting the church. And Paul, while in prison, has gotten wind of it. And so what does he say? What does he tell these women whom he had labored alongside of, who had shared in the advancing of the gospel? He says, agree in the Lord. 
agree. Now, this doesn't mean agree in every single circumstance and situation and opinion. It doesn't mean that we, we can't have our own personal opinions, right? What Paul is talking about is, is not agreeing on, like, secondary, tertiary, or, like, or is it called forciary? I don't, I don't know. Like, fourth or fifth or tenth level kind of discussions. That's not what Paul's talking about. That we're allowed to have differing opinions, right? I mean, maybe Euodia. Maybe she had a different view of how to educate her children than Syntyche did. And maybe Syntyche, you know, she kind of liked this one particular candidate who was, you know, running for office, and, and Euodia didn't really like them. Or maybe they disagreed about how best to respond to the new elixir that was being promoted to deal with whatever health trouble was bearing down on Philippi. I mean, we, we could imagine maybe Christians having differing opinions on things like that, couldn't we? Paul's not saying you have to agree on all of those things. When he says agree in the Lord, what he is saying is that we should agree in the Lord in the primary things, the most significant things, that we should pursue peace around the things of greatest importance. And what is of greatest importance? The gospel, the word of God, the glory of Christ, the good of God's people. That that is where we have peace. That we can differ on all those other things, but where we have peace is around the gospel and around Christ and our union with him. But if we're going to have this kind of peace with others, you know what it's going to require of us? Gentleness. It's what Paul says in verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness, it means gentleness. And everyone means not just in the church, but outside the church. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. And if it's true of everyone outside the church, it must be true of those inside. That we would know one another by our gentleness. It's referring to, to the exact opposite of a spirit of contention and self-seeking. That the way we pursue peace with one another is through gentleness. By agreeing in the Lord. And why? Because we are in the Lord. We have been united, not just to Christ, but in our union with Christ, we are united to each other. You see, our union with Christ isn't just about me and Jesus. It is about us and Jesus. It is about me and Jesus, but it's about me and we and Jesus. That we are not just united to him, but as we are united to him, we are united to one another. I mean, did you hear the language that Paul used to describe these people? He labored alongside them. They were fellow workers. Their names are in the book of life. Okay, think about this. These are people, Euodia, Syntyche, right? The, the fellow workers, the, the uh, wh what was his name? Clement, the true companion. Like, all we know about these people is what's written in verses 2 and 3. That's it. We don't know anything else about them, but what we also know is that their names are written in the book of life. That these are the blood-bought lambs of the Lord. And if you are trusting in Christ, so are you. Listen, we don't know all the different things that are going on below the surface of our lives. 
of one another's lives. We don't know all the layers of our hearts. But what we do know is that you, if you are trusting in Christ, if you have been united to him, your name is written in the book of life. And when we disagree, and when there is a lack of peace, will that not affect the way that we engage with one another? If we remember, this is not just a person, as though that's not enough, but that this is one for whom Christ has died. I mean, that'll affect the way we talk to one another, the way we engage with one another, the fact that we would pursue peace. Wouldn't it? That we can rejoice that there is peace with each other. I mean, this is why at the end of the service, right before I pronounce the benediction, we say the peace of Christ be with you, and you respond, and also with you. But oftentimes I preface it, don't I? I say something like, you know, because of what Christ has done on our behalf, we have peace with the Father, and we have peace with one another, and so therefore the peace of Christ be with you, and also with you, right? That we have peace together. That because we have been united to Christ, we are to pursue peace with others, with one another. And we can rejoice that Christ gives us that peace. And not just peace with others, but also peace within. Look what Paul says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now look, we have all experienced the unsettledness of anxiety, right? Every one of us. Some of us feel anxiety all the time. I imagine that there may be some of you, even right now, are feeling anxious. Others of us feel it just occasionally. Some of us feel it for very major things and others for very minor things. We all experience anxiety, and when we experience it, we would not call it peaceful. Right? It's disorienting. It takes over. Right? It's all-consuming. It's like a weed in our yard. It starts very small, but over time it starts to spread, and before long it has taken over the entire yard. Right? Anxiety does that. It, it begins so small in our hearts or our minds, and before long it is all-consuming. And there is no peace. So what does Paul say? Do not be anxious about anything. Now, I want you to think about this. When, when I hear Paul say, do not be anxious about anything, I think of the dad in the bleachers at the Little League game, and his son Timmy is on the mound, and Timmy on this day isn't pitching very well. In fact, Tim, Timmy couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat, right? Like, the safest place to be when Timmy is pitching is standing on the plate because he can't throw a strike, right? Like, that's the kind of day Timmy's having because little leaguers have these days, right? And so he's pitching ball after ball and he's walking batter after batter and he's getting lit up. And so what does dad in the bleachers yell? Throw strikes, <laughs> right? And so what does Timmy do? He bears down. I'm going to throw some strikes. I'm going to try harder. And what is he? Ball, ball four. Ball four. You know, getting lit up, right? And so what does that do? All the more, his, he's losing his mind, right? He's about to explode. His face is going red and veins are popping out of his neck. And he's yelling, throw strikes! And what do we want to say? What do you think he's trying to do? <laughs> like, dude, Timmy's not out there thinking, I really want to be the worst pitcher in the league. I really hope I walk another batter. 
Like he's not thinking that. He's trying to throw strikes. And every time you yell, throw strikes, you're making it harder for him to throw strikes. What do you think he's trying to do? And when Paul yells or says or writes, be anxious about nothing. In our hearts, it can feel like Timmy's dad yelling throw strikes. Don't be anxious about anything. And then what happens? We start being anxious about our anxiousness, right? But that's not what Paul's doing here. He's not up in the bleachers yelling throw strikes. He's not saying in the midst of your anxiety, just stop being anxious. No, look what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you see what Paul's doing? He is telling us what we are to do with our anxiety. He doesn't just say, stop it. He says, take it to the Lord. Go to the Lord in prayer, that that's what we are to do with our anxiety. That if we are looking for peace within, it begins with prayer to the Lord. Now, let me just say as an aside, Paul is not saying that we should then, therefore, n- never talk to one another about it, right? That, that if you just pray, then all your anxiety will go away, and so you don't have to talk to anyone, you don't have to deal with it in that sort of way. That's not what Paul's saying. Because actually, oftentimes, it, it can help us in the midst of our anxiety to talk to fellow believers, to talk to leaders, to talk to counselors, to talk to pastors, But those who receive this counsel, who give this counsel, what will they say? I know what my counselor tells me. When I'm talking to him about my worries and my anxieties and my concerns, often, almost every time, he does what every good counselor should do. He says, well, Penny, what are you saying to God right now? What have your prayers been like? Are you going to him in prayer? Because he recognizes that, that though talking and, and receiving counsel and receiving uh, others bearing our burdens is helpful and good, it does not replace prayer. That we actually need to take our prayers to the Lord. And what's amazing is that I found that, that oftentimes my anxiety ratchets up as my prayerlessness goes down. Or as the way that one theologian put it, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be in prayer about everything. And the reason why we pray is because we know that God is there in the midst of our circumstance. The reason why we pray is because God will give us exactly what we need. I mean, the reason we pray, right, or the reason we are anxious is because oftentimes it is something that is outside of our control. Something that we have no idea what to do, right? It's about the future. It's about this conversation. We don't know what they're going to say, how they're going to respond, and how this is going to play out. And so we become anxious and worried because we can't control it. But when we go to prayer, we're taking it to someone who can. We are resting in the one who is in complete control. And we are placing our trust and our situation, and our lack of peace in his hands. I mean, this is what Jesus said, right, in Matthew 6. 
You remember that beautiful part of Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he tells us why we don't need to be anxious. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then he goes on, he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. That's beautiful, isn't it? Do not be anxious. Why? Because your heavenly Father, he is in complete control. Do not be anxious. Why? Because you're a heavenly father, you are more valuable than they. Do you want inner peace? It is found only in Christ. You see, we don't experience inward peace or freedom from anxiety because God gives us everything we want or ask for. We experience this because he gives us exactly what we need. And what we need is him. What we need is a peace that doesn't come from this world, but we need a peace that comes from God. And that is why we rejoice, because God gives us this peace. And that's how Paul ends our passage. He says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't guarantee that in our anxiety-laden situations, if we just pray, that all of a sudden they will go away, like, right? Like, it's not magic. It's not, here are the four steps to having, like, a peaceful life. Step one is prayer. Step two is prayer, right? Like, that's, that's not what he's saying. In fact, we often see in Scripture that characters, people, the psalmist, they cry out to God. They say, we are in need of help. We are in need of rescue. And the next day comes, and what? Saul's still breathing threats against David. It's not an automatic, your situation changes or your circumstance turns 180 degrees. No, what is given to us, though, is in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our difficulty, is we have peace that surpasses all understanding. And it does surpass understanding, doesn't it? I mean, to be in a situation and in this circumstance where you are coming undone and the world around us would say that you should be freaking out and we can rest in the Lord, that doesn't make sense apart from being united to Christ. That does not make sense apart from the peace of God, the peace that guards our hearts and our minds. That's what he said, right? He guards our hearts and our minds, and that word guard means garrison. It's a garrison. It's a fortified structure. It is castle walls, and those who are behind those walls are protected, are safe, are cared for. That's what Paul is telling us, that if you are in Christ, you are united to him. God's peace protects your heart and your mind, a peace that doesn't come from circumstance or situation. It doesn't come from possession or personal security, but a peace that comes from God. For those united to Christ, and y'all, when we know that peace, the peace with others, the peace within, the peace that surpasses all understanding, when we know that, we can rejoice always. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you have given us your Son, our Lord Jesus, and you have united us to him so that we can rest in his good works, so that we can look to him and trust in what he has done on our behalf. And so we pray that as we look to him in our times of difficulty, in our times of sadness, in our times of worry and anxiety, that as we look to him, we would know your peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so we ask that you would give it to us today so that we would live as people rejoicing in what you have done. We pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, amen.